0: Well, open your Bible if you have one with you this morning. If My voice is a little rough. I've had a sinus. They go to Florida. It's beautiful, 70 degrees down there. Sunshine some days. And uh, so I had a head cold all the first three days I was there. It was amazing. And um, just to let me know I missed you. (laughs) I could not have too much enjoyment, right? Uh, Anyway, so, uh, uh, yeah, just uh, pray for me. Uh, John 14. You have your Bibles with you. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you. And we are going through a study in the Gospel of John. And uh, we're in chapter number 14 this morning. And so I uh, invite you to open your Bible there. <clears throat> Lord willing, we'll finish chapter number 14 today. Uh, I'm going to read just one verse. Uh, I'm going to read a set of verses. We want to focus really in our time this morning on verse 27 of John 14. I want to read it and give it a little context just to, to help us. You can follow along. Beginning of verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your amendments all that I have said to you. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, and let us go from here. May God bless the reading of his inspired, infallible word. Well, um, let me just start by asking you, do you have peace this morning? Uh, do you have a peace of mind or a, a peace in your soul that despite all that's going on in the world, and there's much that could cause you alarm and, and fear and trouble. But while it all rages around you, you are steady. There's something steadfast about you. Uh, you're consistent now, I'm not talking this morning about an apathy, which sometimes we we get to a place where we just don't care. You get to that; it is what it is. It'll always be the same, and so you just kind of resign to uh, to the trouble around you without any concern. In fact, that point of view is is to be less alive. Uh, it is to be less human in how God made us. What I am talking about and what Jesus has promises this morning is is true peace to those who feel, uh, those who perceive the world around them, those who care. Well, peace is often uh, seen in terms of political, in the political sphere, actually, our current wars going on in the Middle East and Ukraine and Russia bring to mind a statement John MacArthur uh, quotes uh, from a book written back in 1968. The author's uh, made this statement, over the span of 3,500 years of human history, there's only been about 300 of peace, less than 300 with no wars. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it, <laughs> to think about that? Uh, and you could see why this idea of the Messianic kingdom and the Messianic age where there will be no more wars was such a, an attractive and longed-for thing throughout the Bible. Well, we add to the fact of conflict on national levels, the onslaught of discord and chaos around us, social media, uh, people fighting and commenting. I, I don't know. I guess they still do that, don't they? Uh, Christians uh, uh, battling, attacking other believers, and it's just an, an onslaught of constant uh, fighting and infighting and all that goes on. This fracture in our families. Some of you feel that more than others, uh, where your relationships are strained at best and and totally dissolved in some cases uh, where it 's constantly a back and forth and and all of that brings us back to this this kind of desire that we want peace, we want to experience it, we worry about the state of our economy, the choices our children make or the choices that we make we We worry about the disagreement with a person on the other side of the room or vice versa. And in all of that, it's a wonder any of us got any sleep last night, especially if you can't breathe in your sinuses. Never mind. Uh, There is plenty to live this life stressed, filled. And what we want, what we need is peace. But what kind of peace? Well, the Old Testament idea of peace, and, and really in the same regard of what Jesus is mentioning here, peace in the New Testament, is that of shalom. And some of you may have studied that or, or uh, had some uh, reading on that. It, it doesn't mean just the absence of turmoil or the absence, or the absence of conflict, and that's kind of how we think about peace, isn't it? And so if you were small children, you think about peace, the absence of your child in a safe place, maybe asleep or whatever. But you you think, I want some quietness, some stillness. That's peace. Uh, And it eludes you like a vapor uh, in some ways. Well, that's not what the Bible means when it talks about peace. There is an idea where we want to be removed from those things that are dangerous or hard or difficult. But the Bible speaks of peace with the addition of a different kind of life, a life that is full, a life of tranquility, a life of security, one of wholeness. Peace in the Bible, uh, whether you go in the New Testament or the Old Testament, is a desire to be whole or experience wholeness as, as God's divine blessings uh, given to us. Uh, it is not to be without but to experience the fullness of what Jesus is offering in peace, namely God's favor and blessing. Now, this morning, as you look at peace, and we'll look at it in verse 27, uh, the Bible talks about peace in the sense of peace with God, peace with your neighbor, peace with one another, peace among nations. Uh, And thirdly, under the category of the experience of peace, peace on the inside, inward peace, a, a, a kind of calmness, of spirit. And I want to look at the first and the last of those categories. That is peace with God and and that peace that Christ gives us promised in verse number 27. But let me read the verse again for you, uh, for us. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. What a beautiful promise that Christ has given to his disciples, his followers. Now, that peace that Christ promises here in verse 27 is dependent upon that first and primary peace which Christ has come to secure for us, and that is that is relationally between us and God. You remember, many of you remember Romans 5, the beginning of that. He says we're, we're justified by faith and therefore we have peace with God, implying that before Christ, or before conversion or salvation, that you were not at peace with God. In fact, uh, which is strange language for, to many of us, because we see one another as decent human beings, don't we? For the most part, I mean, you can be kind to other people, they're, they're normal. And yet the Bible says, before we were born again, before we came to Christ, we were living in a hostility to God. Um. Romans 8 captures this for us when he says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So instead of just speaking of the human condition as one as kind of passive or indifferent to God, it speaks of the human condition, the Bible speaks of us being in conflict a hostility at war with God. In fact, Colossians says the very same thing. We were we were in in conflict in our mind towards God. Hostile in our mind towards God. Our rejection of God's law and our resistance to his will as he's revealed to us both in creation and in the word of God is is not a small matter. The Bible says humanity is at in essence at war with God. And on the other side of that, we are told that God is responding to that violation to his law. In fact, in Isaiah 48 22, the Bible says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. That God's response to our sinful rebellion, man's sin against him and his will, is judgment. He will judge every man according to their deeds by the very standard, by the very law, which we have disregarded and violated. He must, if he is to be righteous and just. The Bible says the consequence or the wages of our sin and disobedience is what? Death. But how is death defined? That man's hostility towards God. And here we see God's hostility or his his wrath, his judgment against man. In in somewhat of the same language as he talks about us, us being cast out into a restless eternity. Where the worm dieth not. We will live without peace under the wrath of God forever and ever. This is the relational difference. The outcome of every human being that has been born apart from some intervention, right? And this outcome is just seen in the symptoms of what we see in our society, the violence we do to one another, the murder and the lying, the stealing, the, uh, the fraud. All the things that we do is at, a, at its very root a manifestation or at the foundation a manifestation of our, our war with God, In God's ways. And if we cannot reach him. We will violate and sin against those who bear his image. And that is our fellow human beings. Now. We are reminded that Christ has come to take away that hostility. That's the good news of the gospel isn't it? And even the words of Paul in uh, Ephesians. And also in Colossians. Many other places. We find Christ is called our peace. In fact Ephesians Two, let me just read it for you, states it this way. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now he's saying that you were far off, apart from God, alienated from God. That's where we were in our sinful state. Something has changed. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace who has made both us one And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. And he goes on and says this, and it's worth hearing. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see what Paul is telling us, what the Bible is telling us. There is this lack of peace, this animosity, this war, this hostility against man and God, and Christ has come to reconcile that difference, reconcile that that distance and difference. He has come to bring those two parties together, namely man who has violated God's law and God himself. Unless we think it's like two friends who... Or, or two brothers or, or uh, siblings that a parent comes and says, all right, that's enough of that. Come and shake hands. Say you're sorry. How many of you ever had to do that? And, you know, they mouth it. I'm sorry. <laughs> they don't mean it, do they? <laughs> they go on about their business. And so in your mind as a parent, you think, I've done it. I've reconciled these two opposing parties until the next one bashes the other one with a toy. Which happens. That's not what we're talking about here. Man and God are not on equally opposed terms in the sense of we're both equally got odd against one another and we both have our own rights. In fact, what we come to understand that God is holy and just and righteous. He is totally above and beyond uh, the idea of being equal with us. Both in splendor and in awesomeness. Uh, Just the very fact that he is holy uh, and Josh should remind us uh, uh, to to be somewhat uh, trepidatious when we think about who God is. But you add to that the beauty of His character—that He is good and long-suffering and merciful and love—and every moral every moral virtue which can be known is perfected in God Himself. He's the example of that. And that's why John can tell us that God is. Love, but to be human is to err, isn't it? Reminding us that the human nature itself is one of of sinning and missing the mark. And not only have we missed the mark and we sin, but think about the violence we have brought into God's creation, not just from the garden, but at this very moment. The violence we create against God's creation, but not just his creation, but against those, as we have said, created in his image our neighbors. So Christ has come down, taking upon flesh to reconcile sinful man and a holy God. But how does he do that? By taking that hostility into himself, into his body. That's what he says in Hebrews, a body you have prepared for me that he might put away, put away that which separates us from God. Colossians speaks of it this way in the forgiveness of sin in Colossians 2. He describes it as having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to his cross. That, that reconciliation, that peace with God is... Is, is given to us, his provision is made for that at the cross of Christ. There he bore the wrath of God, the, the consequences, the full weight of hostility as he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God, his death for for us. His life for us, our death for him, so that we might be able to stand uh, in the congregation of the righteous, and say, gone. All of it, done away with, sin, or sin, and the condemnation, gone. Don't you like how the psalmist puts it? When he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us, Psalms one Isn't that a, it's unfathomable when you think about it. You haven't even forgotten about your sin. Have you? That constant nagging sometimes that comes up in your life. I may be the only one, if I am, pray for me because I feel like it's a human condition. And yet the Bible says God will never bring that to account again. It is so removed, so separated that it can never be brought back together because Christ Jesus paid it all. That's what the gospel says, right? Done away with, gone. So that we might be brought into fellowship with him. Fellowship with the Father, Romans 5, 1 and 2, that's what he's saying, that that we might have this peace with God. And some of you may be saying, is it really possible to live with this idea that that I have peace with God, that all of my sin is is done away with in Christ? Is it possible that I can have that assurance rooted in what Christ did 2,000 years ago, plus years ago? And I would have to say the Bible says yes. Yes, how do we get that kind of peace? Back to Romans 5 and 1, right? That we are justified by faith. And because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right, it's by faith. It's by hearing the gospel message of what Jesus did and by receiving it His death as on your account that we might be, you might be right with God. That 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 penalty that he paid was not for his sin. He had no sin. But that he paid that penalty because you got a whole boatload of sin. And that because he was righteous, you might in that same transaction receive that record of being sinless. Sinless. Justification. That's what it is. And I would just remind you, Saint... Take some time to meditate on that glorious truth this week. Mull over Romans 5, uh, the whole chapter where he talks about that love that is manifested, that while we were undeserving, while we were still in our sins, yet he displayed this kind of love for us, making peace, not just just a, a kind of forgiveness of sin, but bringing us closer to himself. You ever did something for somebody and you're like, I'll do this, but I don't ever want to talk to them again. How many of you ever been that? Just be honest this morning. We're in church. Confession is good for the soul, right? And Jesus souling himself on the cross. Not just to be like, I'm doing this against my will, and I, I hate every minute of it. I don't want to have anything to do after them and just give them a clean slate and let them do their own thing. No, he did that so he could bring us close, bring us in further to fellowship uh, to to be in the family of God. In fact, it, it is this act of Christ on the cross that that really brings substance to that Old Testament idea of peace in numbers six twenty four through twenty six As the priests would stand up and raise their arms over the people. And they would say, "The Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And how can we take a verse like that and comfort our hearts? Because he took our wrath so that we might have his peace. And that's the promise of the gospel. And if you just stand outside of Christ. You're only left with that turmoil and conflict. And I know it's hard because sometimes our normal is twisted, isn't it? I mean, you grew up, and the way you grew up you think is normal. That's why you tell everybody the way you grew up is the way everybody ought to grow up, right? Walk to school uphill both ways, 10 miles and six feet of snow, and you tell your kids that, and they're not impressed, and then they tell their kids that. And, and, you know, we just kind of inherit. That's That's our legacy. It's what we pass down. And it is true, isn't it? That some people have have been in conflict all of their lives so much. Whether it's personal conflict, conflict in their heart and their soul, conflict in their families and relationships, that if you give them a moment of silence, a day without any kind of conflict, they will go crazy. Because they can't take it. And you know, talking about peace with God and peace with your creator and, And peace with your conscience that he gives by having a clean conscience washed by the blood of Jesus. That sounds so foreign to you, doesn't it? Some of you, maybe. and Because you're so used to the conflict. Let me just say, it is beyond explainable. When you come to realize what it means to be forgiven and to be in Christ Jesus. To lay aside all of that. And not one person who's ever done that's ever regretted it. Not one person who has ever found peace with God has ever found it a thing to be despised. In fact, most us say I wished I would have known about this earlier. And I just urge you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, come, that you might have this peace that he offers us. That's the foundation. But that peace, not only does it, become the foundation of our peace between one another, but it becomes the foundation of our peace in this life. And that's what he's talking about in John 14. Look back at it with me. He says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, or I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The first part of this in the verse, peace I leave with you, is that of the language of a legal document or a will, a a legacy. As if Jesus is saying, I'm going away from you and my will, my last will and testament is that you have peace. That's what I'm leaving. Um, Despite the fact that his disciples had felt confused, they were overwhelmed with everything going on at the moment in this text with Jesus about to be Uh, crucified. He's leaving them and all the news that he told them. He says, this isn't the way that it's going to be. I'm not, you may feel this in the moment that things are just upside down. You don't understand what's going on, but I'm telling you what I am doing and what I am leaving you is not this. It's not trouble in this fashion. It isn't a spirit or a soul that's turned upside down and, and, and ran over 14 times. I am giving to you my peace. That's what I'm leaving. I'm leaving you a legacy of peace. Notice he says, not only is it peace I'm leaving with you, but he says at verse number 27, it is my peace I give to you. You ever thought of Jesus as a peaceful individual? (laughs) Until you read where he made a whip and overturned a few tables. You're like, well, what was that all about? Righteous indignation. He says, what I'm leaving you to is my peace. Now, I want you to understand, I think what he's saying here, and he's highlighting for them and for us, and we'll see more of this in John 15, but he's trying to remind them that what you are receiving, all that you're receiving is more from that relationship with me than you could possibly understand. It is my spirit that I am sending to you. It is my peace that I am giving to you. The very spirit that walked with Jesus and he did all of his miracles throughout his life is the one he is sending back into the world to comfort the disciples. But also here the very peace that he possessed, that, that carried him, that was his characteristic, his demeanor in life against all opposition will be that very same peace and disposition that he gives to us. Don't you find that hard to fathom? That anything Jesus could possess, anything that he could display in his own life that we could have any part of. I mean, actually, literally. I mean, I know theoretically the Bible says that, but that you can experience peace like Jesus did. When all of the world, all of the Jewish leaders of his day were plotting to kill him and call him a heretic and trip him up and all that. I mean, some of us get nervous. Somebody just asks us our name, right? I just can't take that and let alone jesus said no in the midst of that he showed himself steadfast unmoved there's one incident and jonathan cruz highlights this in a book on christ's character uh, in mark chapter number four and i won't read it all for for length but you know the story jesus had been ministering all day they are going in the boat across the sea of galilee to the other side and jesus goes to sleep that's what you do when you're tired right and um as he sleeps a storm quickly overtakes them and the disciples are fearful for their very lives they actually wake up jesus and accuse him of not caring (laughs) for them or if they ever really thought about these things later on they're like was stupid whose idea was that and jesus wakes up and he says peace be still (laughs) and it it worked right (laughs) it stopped. He says, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But the thing that he said after that is remarkable, isn't it? He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were terrified, but Jesus touches at the heart of where the fear is, and that is a lack of faith. His calm throughout his ministry reflected his complete trust in the Father's character. The same thing is true for us. Uh, that much of our fearfulness, much of our turmoil in in soul and spirit, is because that lack of faith or not acting upon that faith, not resting in who the Father is. Jesus knew him perfectly, trusted him perfectly, walked this life perfectly. He had peace. He had peace, and he says, "It's my peace that I leave with you." Well, isn't that what he teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount as he is trying to teach his disciples how to live this life? Remember your Heavenly Father? Your Heavenly Father over and over pointing us back to his care for us? That same relationship, that same confidence in the Father is what he says will be given to you, imparted to you through the Holy Spirit, not as the world gives it. And what does he mean by that? Well, we know the world knows little about peace other than a good idea. But Jesus' peace is very much different than that. Let me give you a few contrasts here I think might help us. The world's peace is a hope. Not a hope like we speak of biblical hope. A hope like you might win the lottery. Hope. What I mean is it is a wishful expression. Uh, saying that you tell someone i hope you have a peaceful day or i hope you have peace or whatever that it is a bad thing or or it's automatically uh, evil because a person may or may not be saved what i'm saying is in in the world's way of thinking even sincere wishful thinking does not bring about uh, the necessary end you know what i mean by that Uh, they, they can say it they can desire it yet the world itself has no ability to secure it in that sense the world's peace is just a hopeful idea. It is wishful thinking. But Christ says he has come to give us his peace, the peace that he possesses, uh, the peace that he has lived out here on earth. Uh, not a false hope, not a not a maybe peace, but a peace that he has secured for us by making peace with God so that we might know that we are the children of God. Christ has not given us peace based upon. Uh, based upon uh, this idea of wishful thinking, he's given us peace that is secure. But the second thing we might say about the world's peace is that it is circumstantial. Peace really matters. It just depends on what's going on in your life. Do you got peace? I don't know. Is kids running around hollering and screaming? Well, no. Well, then I've got peace, right? That's kind of how we view peace. The world views peace with what's going on around you having the right job or the right spouse or the having the right kids or having the right weather savings and finances and all the things going your way that's how we view peace in the world isn't it that's what we promise that's what we strive for other than bad you'd have to be insane to strive for the opposite of some of those things right don't go marry the wrong spouse if you may be the wrong spouse i don't know but don't go do all that kind of stuff What I'm saying is that's the world. It it depends on what's going on in your life, but Christ's peace is not like that. His promise is that in this world you'll have tribulation. Isn't that what he promised his followers? So he's not saying I'm giving you peace except for when you're going through tribulation. No, even in tribulation, because it says be of good cheer, what do you mean? I mean, you just said, I'd rather you say in this world you'll have blessings. Wouldn't you like to hear that? I mean, some of you would. The rest of you are like, I don't know, is it a trick? <laughs> I quit answering stuff because you asked. Them. No, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. That in tribulation, Christ's peace is ours. Because our peace in this world is soon removed when disturbance comes, when friendships fall apart, when relationships are in tension, when when, when people don't do what you want them to do or when you don't do what you want them to do or when the world is just just falling apart around you, peace leaves us. It is dependent upon our circumstances. And we, we've tried this in the world, right? Well, one thing we could do is just let's bolster ourselves through preppy thinking and slogans, right? Don't worry, be what? How many of you really raise your hand this morning? How many of you that really ever helped you? Dave, what do you think? Has that helped you paint better? <laughs> Painting has helped you, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, a couple of decades ago, we said the way to live this life, the way to succeed, the way to press forward is to think rightly. And by thinking rightly, we just say, mean, think positively. Let the negative bounce off of you and, and keep moving forward, right? And that's not what Christ offers us true sustaining tried peace in the midst of our circumstances in the storms of our life in the middle of persecution when things are not always right and going sideways there there can be there is a peace that remains and it is Christ's peace it was said of the Marian martyrs during 1555 the first one was burned at the stake His name was John Rogers. He uh, assumed he was going to be burnt with another gentleman. He was not. Uh, The guy was burnt later. They wanted to kind of isolate them as they held him in prison under harsh treatment for 18 months. As they let him out uh, because he would not consent to the Catholic teaching on the Lord's Supper. And that is re-sacrificing Christ all over again every time you have the Lord's Supper. As they were walking him out and giving him an opportunity to recant so he would not be burned at the stake, uh, he rejected it, and they said, you're a heretic. And he told the guy that told him that, well, you'll be uh, called a heretic on the Day of Judgment, which is far worse, by the way. And they let him out, and one of the onlookers said it looked like he was going to a wedding instead of his own death. So moving was the scene that the crowd were cheering him on and children were cheering him on to stay true and stay faithful. As he was tied to the, the pole and they lit the uh, the fire and it, it was coming up around his legs, the account says, and it's probably found in Fox's Book of Martyrs if you read it, that he, he reached out his hands as if he was washing them in the fire and then lifted them into heaven and held them until he died. Uh, sealing in his blood what he preached his life with his life and his lips in this life. That is not normal. That is a supernatural grace worked in his life. That is a peace that passes all understanding. And you may say, well, he's a martyr and look at what he was facing. What I'm telling you, the same God, same Holy Spirit working in him is the same one working in your life. The same blessings secured for us by Jesus Christ are the same blessings that are yours in Jesus Christ through that same Spirit. If he, if he can secure us in the greatest moments of our life, can He not? Is it too small of a thing to help us in the smaller ones? Thirdly, I would say this. The world's peace is temporary. It does not remain. We saw that just recently in a ceasefire for six days, and it couldn't even hold, right, And uh, in Israel, between Israel and... It is temporary, but the peace that Christ gives us is eternal. You and I need that kind of peace. We need that in our hearts. We need that in our souls. We need that experience, that peace of mind that comes with knowing Not only that we are right with God, but that He is with us and guiding us and caring for us. Well, let me just ask you a few questions here and may help us. How does this work in our life? And how come, Christian, you don't experience it? You ever been there? The Bible gives you these great teachings and says these great things, and that is awesome. It's like reading the psalm You're like, amazing, but I don't feel that. I, I don't know if that's true. I-, I spend a lot of my time in-, in worry or fear. And some of us are more, we're more prone to that, aren't we? Just by nature. It's kind of how God made us. It isn't that you've got to trust God more. It's just more evident that you've got to trust God more than other people. And Jesus says to them at the end of verse number 27, This is what I give to you, my peace, tried, true, not as the world gives, give I to you. But let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do not let your lives be overruled by, overcome, guided by your fear and inability to act and live according to as Christ has commanded us. And the idea of, of fear is to be a coward, cowardice. Isn't that what fear does? Makes us withdraw back. Makes us to not act in ways or respond in ways or, or, or live in ways that we know we ought to live in certain circumstances where that fear is not present. We do that automatically when we're not afraid. But when we're afraid, it's like you got to push yourself or you don't do it. Right? Isn't that our common experience? So why is it that way? What hinders our experience? Well, I think one. We have the wrong view of God, simply. We don't know who God is. If our peace is is rooted, founded in the foundation of being right with God, our, our lack of understanding of who God is is also a lack of understanding of peace in our lives. We don't experience it because we don't know who God is. How can you trust someone you don't know? It may you've just never been taught. You've, you've never picked up your Bible. you never picked up a book. You've never went through and really understood who God was. You wasn't raised in church or whatever it may be. And in that case, uh, the answer is you need to grow. You need to, to open the book. You need to find him in his pages. But it may not just be a, a deficiency in our knowledge. It may be the fact that, that you're lopsided in your theology. That is, you got a God that's all love and no sovereignty, or got a God that's all sovereign and no love, or a God that's uh, that's all judge and, and no goodness. That happens, doesn't it? You get in a situation in your life and things are difficult, and you think, well, it's automatically the hand of God judging me, or or I can understand God judging me, but I can't understand His goodness. And all of that brings us back to this this inability to live as God is has gifted us what Christ has bought for us, and that is peace and trust in our Heavenly Father. So one aspect of God swallows up another as if God's at war with Himself. Beloved, is God love? I should ask you that again, shouldn't I? Is God love? Is God sovereign? Is God good? Is God holy? Is Is He long-suffering? They're not at war with each other. And we should see how we view God in our circumstances. But secondly, we have a wrong or poor shepherding of our thoughts. And I think this is where most of us live. Uh, we can answer all the questions we just answered here. And, and we get a positive. We get 100%, right? It's cool with the lift class. We get to take a test ever so often. It's fun, right, guys? Multiple choice. And... um. And so you can answer all the questions, you get 100. But somehow in your life, you've just not ha- been able to bring the reality of who God is and his promises into the practical implications of where you're at in life. You just don't see how the two meet. But other times, maybe it isn't the fact that you don't see how they meet. You, you just haven't reminded yourself of these things you already know. Isn't that what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about? That by the renewing of our mind, we fight against the mold of this world. We bring back to our remembrance what we have been taught and what we have learned. Turn with me to Philippians 4. Just a moment. And isn't it true that many of you set reminders for things you need to do we do all the time i mean uh, alexa's great right alexa and and siri and all that stuff you just tell it and it just reminds you you don't you have to put it in your phone anymore write it on a paper calendar what's that you know and um but we need reminders but we also need in the christian life too don't we paul brings us back to that in chapter number four let me just read beginning verse number six and seven And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful verse? What does he say? Pray. Things are tough. Pray. Hard, difficult, the world around you, all that stuff. Pray, give thanks to God, take it to the Lord. There's a song, and I don't know exactly... Uh, the name of it, but it says, what needless pain we bear because we do not take everything to the Lord in prayer. Now, what is he saying here in verse number six? Well, he's instructing us how to deal with the world and how to deal with anxiety, not to let it overrun us. But he's also saying something else, isn't he? He's implying that this is faith in action. This is our faith, that which... Uh, We come to understand and know about God, reaching up to God, His promises in the middle of things that are difficult and heavy and, and too much for us to bear in the moment. He's saying, don't just let it weigh on you in that sense and be overwhelmed by it. Rule your life rather by faith. Grab God, take it to God, go to God who loves you, has given his son for you, how will he not sustain you in this as well? Pray and give thanks to God. Worship God. Come to him uh, that you might find that need and help or help in that time of need. Not just to stop under trials, ignore them and ignore the pain and the whirlwind of things going on around us and just succumb to the fear. It's not easy, is it? Is that easy? Well, no, it isn't easy, but that's what he's saying. Take it to God. That's how we live this life. But he says because of that, he follows the peace of God. That's what we're talking about, right? That inner disposition of the heart that says, God, you got this. God, you know what's going on. You love me. You can take care of this. You're good. You're holy. You're sovereign. That that inner peace of God disposition in the moment of that. So we could be steadfast and unmovable. It will guard your hearts and your minds. And it's beyond our understanding. Hence John Rogers. And many others in this room. Don't you want that kind of peace? That's the kind of peace we want. Take it to the Lord in prayer. But there's also another aspect of this in chapter number four. And I'll I'll mention this very quickly. A friend of mine used to use this language of, uh, he was trying to preach a sermon, He says, and he told me the title, he said, I'm preaching a sermon called Garbage In, Garbage Out. And I said, where'd you ever find that in the Bible? Anyway, uh, I think it's in a computer manual, I'm not sure. (laughs) He brought me to uh, Philippians 4, and it is noteworthy, isn't it? Because We don't only need to be reminded through the, through the access of prayer and taking to God and the promises He's given to us. Uh, sometimes our greatest problem in finding peace is because we have surrounded ourselves and we've taken in so much conflict and, and so much uh, division, so much stuff around us that, that our minds don't even know where to find peace and what to think of. You ever find that the case? The complete consumption of uh, uh, of media uh, of all sorts, and, and boy, this is a doozy of a year for this. Right, everywhere you turn, it's all negative. It's all horrible. the The world's burning down. There may be some truth to all of that. But if that's all you take in in your life, that's all you consume, that's all you're you're setting in front of your eyes, that will guide and and that will manifest itself in the way you think and live this life. You will be a basket case. Some of us, I'll put us in the plural, uh, some of us, our greatest problem is that's all we're taking in. I think it's Zig Ziglar who said once, Whoever thought you'd quote him. But Zig Ziglar, who said once he used to wake up in the morning every morning, he'd read his Bible and he'd read the newspaper. So he could see what both sides were doing for the day. And I think, I, I just thought that was brilliant. That's what we need to do. I know you've got to stay in tune with what's going on in the world around you. Do that. But don't do it in neglect or, or out of proportion to what you're taking in of God's word. Or you will not have peace. Why? Because all you've thought of and all you've you've set before your eyes, and I'd say that goes with entertainment, and anything else like that, surround yourself with godly music and 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 other things that might help you to temper, uh, temper you and guide you. He says at the end of Philippians 4, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy of praise, think about these things. Right? You want peace? Take it to the Lord. Trust your heavenly Father and set before your eyes those things that are pure and true and good and holy. Lastly, even very, very quickly, You will not have peace if you live contrary to the will of God for your life. If you're living in sin, live in in opposition to God's revealed will to your life, you will not have peace at all. The Spirit of God takes away our comfort, doesn't He, and our joy in times of discipline. What David said in Psalms 52 when he said, "My sin is ever before me, and restore the joy of your salvation," implying that in his sinful, unrepentant state, that God was working him over. How many of you have ever been worked over by God? It's not fun, is it? I wouldn't call that a time of peace, would you? And it's meant to be that way because the Spirit of God is jealous. God is jealous for us in our obedience and our likeness to Christ and. And so he is conforming us to the image of Christ and in times of discipline he removes away those those comforts that we have, that joy, that peace, so that we may that we may know the danger of our sin. And not only the danger of our sin, but let me just say, if you if you're living in disobedience at this very moment and it doesn't bother you at all, I, I think one Puritan writer put it this way, and I thought it was so interesting. He said, There is a greater danger than being uh, in turmoil in this world. And that is being at peace with sin and being at peace in sin. Uh, and I think he's right. The Spirit of God who loves you. God who who sent his Son to die for you and Christ who has claimed you as his own uh, as he works in your life, he will not rest <laughs> until we are fully completely sanctified in his presence in those seasons in our life where we go astray where we sin God brings us back together and those loving bruises of a father or a shepherd which is meant to lead us uh, back to walking in fellowship with him not to lose our salvation but it is a manifestation of our salvation amen, amen. so Christ says my peace I give to you it's your peace this morning Church." It's a peace that He offers to you. A peace not like the world that He offers. So that we may not live in fear despite all that goes on around us. It's unshakable, undeniable, and unexplainable. Uh, Do you have it? Do you have that peace that Christ offers? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning that we can gather together. Thank You for Your goodness and Your grace to us. Wow. Think. Sending Jesus into the world to take away hostility. And, and that sounds very clinical in some ways, like words on a page and, and ideas in our minds. But we don't fully know the depths of the the beauty and magnitude of what that means. And Father, I pray, would you, through the gracious work of the Holy Spirit, open our eyes to that this week. Remind us of those things, loved uh, beyond degree. And and Lord, I pray that you would uh, remind us, give us that peace. Help us to walk in it as we trust you. Walk in peace with one another. In Jesus' name, amen.